If you thought dating was already hard in the year 2023, guess what? The person you may be going to meet up might actually be a demon. And then we travel to California to take a look at the story of a man who was just returned home from a secret mission in Syria. Little does he know that the true battle lies ahead. One against the forces of darkness, controlled by a master he once served. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too, I really do. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. I hope you guys are staying warm. It's pretty chilly here. Probably help if I put on some pants. I can only complain so much sitting here in boxer shorts and a bathrobe. But someone who's always fully dressed to impress, walking into Dead Rabbit Radio Command right now is one of our newest Patreon supporters. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Colin Tattoos. Woohoo, yeah! Wee ha ha! Yeah, he's coming in, showing off all of his tattoos. Woohoo, yeah! I actually went to his Instagram page. He does have... I don't know. I don't think they're his tattoos. I think he tattoos people. He probably has some of his own. But if... if, Because there's a bunch of photos of a bunch of different bodies. I doubt he's a shapeshifter. But check out his Instagram. He does have some pretty cool designs. Colin Tattoos. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially through the Patreon or the merch store or anything like that, that's fine. It really, really is. It truly is. I know time... I know money especially gets tight around Christmas time. It's totally fine. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Talk about it at uh, your holiday events. Big Christmas turkey uh, right when they <laughs> right when they uh, take their first bite. Talk about the guy who <laughs> masturbated into a cup at an Arby's. What did he do? No, I think he just urinated. But I mean, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Disgusting. <laughs> Bring that episode up. I'll put it in the show notes. Colin Tattoos, I'm going to go ahead and tie you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy. We haven't used this in a while. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to Anywhere USA. <laughs> Colin Tattoos is taking us out to this neighborhood. We don't have an exact location. We're going to take a look at two stories. And this is going to show you a little bit of my thought process. When I'm preparing this stuff, I came across this story first. We're going to take a look at the story of a young woman online. She goes by the name Acid Brains. A lot of people on the, online didn't believe that this story was real. I'm kind of in the middle, may or may not be. But uh, here's the problem. When you go by the moniker of Acid Brains and then you tell a story, like I'm about to tell you, you really can't get offended when people... Just comment that you're on acid. You obviously have some sort of drug problem. You're on acid so much. Your name is Acid Brains. Uh, Her big issue is she goes, no, no, no. That was a dumb name I came up with years ago. Listen, best case scenario, she's done LSD so much that she named herself after it. The worst case scenario, I think, would be that she got acid on her brain. But either way, it would cause like literal like sulfuric acid melting her brain away. 
Either way would make you question the story, but I have this story and then another one right after it. Let's do a little compare and contrast. Acid Brains, whose name's so awesome, I'm not even going to give her a fake name. Acid Brains said that during COVID, what was it, 2019? 2020, I've already kind of forgotten about all that stuff. Acid Brains said... During COVID, you know, everything is shut down. <laughs> I don't think you need, you're like, what, huh? What's COVID, huh? What happened then? Um, and so looking for people to talk to, she ended up connecting with a friend of a friend. She goes, we were acquaintances, me and this young man. We would talk from time to time. We'll call him Billy. Uh, her and Billy would talk from time to time. But nothing formal. But during COVID, they started to Zoom call each other and this friendship between Billy and Acid Brains, really started to hit it off. Well, after the lockdowns ended, she said, I'm going to go hang out with that guy, Billy. He seemed pretty cool. Plus, <laughs> he might have some acid. He might have some acid for me. Who knows? I'm going to go hang out with Billy. So she goes, I went out, and I met Billy in person. And I'm hanging out with Billy in person, and I immediately fell in love with him. It was amazing. I hadn't had a connection like that before. I immediately fell in love with them and she goes that night they started making love and she said while we were having sex it was so amazing i had never had sex like this before it was just mind-blowing but at a certain point i opened my eyes and i saw his face was wrong it wasn't his face anymore she goes, what it looked like was if you took like a transparency of a demon's face and put it over Billy's. So she could still kind of see Billy's features, but on top of it was this imprint, this transparency type projection of a demon face. She said, I saw you have this demon face with a devious smile, but... The sex was so good, I didn't want it to stop. So I kept banging this demon dude. And she goes, I had the most intense orgasm in my life. And although I love doing sound effects on this show, I will not do that one for your mental sanity. She's getting railed by this demon. And afterwards, after this amazing orgasm, she's laying in bed next to him. And she said, Billy, I don't know how to say this, but while we were having sex, I opened my eyes and I saw your face. It looked like a demon on top of it. It looked like you were some sort of monstrous man from beyond all known reality. And he said, here's the thing, okay? I have a really hard time believing this story. I know I'm presenting it pretty dryly. I'm not saying she made it up. Here's the thing. This happens to me all the time. Not that I turn into a demon during sex. Not that. But because of low-light conditions, right, you're usually having sex in the dark. There have been, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, or when I say there have been plenty of women that I have had sex with who, while I'm having sex with them, <laughs> look like monsters or demons. It just happens. It happens all the time. It happens so often that I just figured it happened to everybody. Because, again, you got all these motions and emotions, right, if you're really into it. But... She's moving and I'm moving and the light's low. And sometimes their faces look like monster faces. <laughs> You're like, wow, no one. This happens to nobody. It does. It happens to me all the time. And sometimes, listen, sometimes these are women I barely know. 
fair. They might be demons. They might actually be demons. But sometimes it's women I know very well. Sometimes it's demons that I have a casual, you know, thing with. Uh, sometimes it's girls that I've been dating for a period of time. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened enough that when I'm having sex with someone in a low light condition and their face starts to light, <laughs> their eyeballs are bulging out, they're throwing up blood. <laughs> the demon lord commands me. No, it's not that bad. It's just stuff looks distorted because it's a low light condition and I'm looking at somebody's face. It's the same thing when you go into a bathroom and you stare in the mirror with the lights low for too long, maybe a little candle, right? <laughs> to make the mood more romantic. You'll start to see your own face become monstrous or look like an animal. That's what I always figured it was. I never freaked out about it. I never ran off screaming. Um, I just was like, oh, I, <laughs> you're like, Jason, you, you need to start picking better women. Because those are all demons. No, no, I think it's just like a trick of the light. So when she wrote this, and I'm not done with the story either, but... When she wrote this, I'm reading it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's probably just the trick of the light. It's probably the thing that happens to everybody sometimes when they're having sex with someone in low light conditions. It's never pitch black. You're never like in the void. <laughs> You're never in the void having sex. There's always like a street light or like an alarm clock light. It's low light. Anyways, she says, hey, when we are having sex, I looked at your face and you have this face that looked like a demon. Billy's not surprised. In fact, he uh, says, yes, yes, sometimes I do have a demon face because I'm an incubus. He claims that he is a male sex demon. He's an incubus. And she goes about a week after, so this was like a long distance thing through Zoom. <laughs> she doesn't say what her response was to that. She didn't grab her stuff and leave. She goes, he was a really dark individual. I figured he was just joking because he's into like dark, edgy stuff or whatever. But about a week after I returned, because it was like a long distance thing, she goes, I cut off all contact with him. Stop talking to him. She goes, he did something to betray my trust. She didn't go into detail and that's fine. None of our business. But she said what happened was after that, about 51 weeks later, she said a week short of a full year since I'd last seen him, she hears from a mutual friend that Billy killed himself. I'm <laughs> like, damn it, Jason, why do you have stories? <laughs> Always get so depressing. Like, you're laughing, talking about banging demons. You're like, I do it all the time. And we're along for the ride, and then it's always just some sort of sad ending. Well, anyways, that is sad. I, I, suicide is always awful. And she goes, I think that he was telling me the truth, and he must have just got into deeper and darker things and, and led to a suicide. It's an interesting story. I don't know if it's paranormal. What I'm saying, like, I don't think Acid Brains made the story up. But when I read this, I go, I don't really necessarily think that's paranormal. It's probably a troubled young man, trick of the light, you know, the end. But what was interesting was I read that story, and this is the story that I was like, this is paranormal. If this story's true, the second one I'm about to tell you, it's kind of the same scenario. And here's the thing. I say once is a, I don't remember what I say. I have to look it up. Uh, I, I say like once, uh, never mind. But my point is, is that if something starts happening and it happens multiple times, now it's a phenomenon. 
if something starts happening over and over again, we go, well, maybe this is an actual real thing in the world of the paranormal. Maybe there are demons out there on the dating scene, which would make a lot of sense. It would really make a lot of sense. Let's take a look at this story. We're going to take a look at the story of uh, two people, a young mother we're going to call Monica and her seven-year-old son, Milo. And Milo, who's now an adult who posted the story online, said, I was sitting on the couch. We were over at my mom's boyfriend's house. And I'm sitting on the couch and my mom, I'm assuming this is in another room, but I'm not for sure. It could have also been like another couch or a love seat or something like that. But Milo goes, I'm sitting on the couch. And then my mom, Monica, is laying across her boyfriend. So like her boyfriend's laying down and she's just laying on top of him with her head rested on his chest. Milo's sitting there and then all of a sudden, his mom jumps up, runs over, grabs her stuff, grabs Milo hurries him outside to their car. She hits the gas. They speed away. And he has no idea what prompted any of this, and she will not tell him. She will not tell him what happened. But later on, Milo overheard his mother talking to her friend, her best friend. And this is what he overheard. Monica said, I was over at my boyfriend's house. I was laying down on his chest. I was just kind of laying there, and I was listening to his heartbeat. Very comfortable. Very just comfortable, but vulnerable position to be in, right? Just laying kind of down on someone. And she goes, I heard something. I heard something in his chest, and it no longer was his heartbeat. I could hear voices inside of him. Two distinct voices. And they were discussing the most vile, horrible things you could ever imagine. It was sickening. And these two deep voices were just having this conversation between each other. And she can clearly hear them and Monica looked up and she looks at her boyfriend's face and it wasn't his face. It wasn't his face. She said it was completely distorted. So she jumped up, got her stuff, grabbed her son and left. And she never went back. She never saw him again. That was posted online by someone going by the name IJ. IJ. It's an... Interesting story, definitely. I mean, both of them could be completely made up for sure. AJ posted this in response to what Acid Brains had told. But it would make sense. Like, when you do back up and you think about it, why wouldn't demons invade the dating market? That's really when people... I don't want to say they're out there most vulnerable, because I don't think that's necessarily true, but that is when they are looking for something. Whether it is just a one-night stand or a relationship that'll last the ages. That dating is that first step where you have to meet a stranger. Or maybe you have a casual acquaintance, maybe it's a friend of the friend, but you don't know them in the way you want to know them. And so it does require you to either lie a lot 
and hide all your flaws or to be very vulnerable and expose some of your flaws. You don't want to drop them all off on the first night. So you do, there's a little bit of vulnerability or lying there. But yeah, it would totally make sense, right? This would be the time that you could find someone who was really looking for something in their life and you may fit partially the bill or really all of it. But if you had sick and twisted desires or you were a drug addict looking for someone to shoot up with, you know, it can go either way. Hopefully relationships are beneficial to both people, but you can run into a lot of sickos out there. And I I get demons could very easily get involved in that. Crazy stuff. If I was a demon, that'd probably be a place where I would try to infiltrate families and destroy them would be in the dating process because you could just latch on to somebody and as they go out meeting people you can slowly start to weasel your way into their existences as well it's almost like a communicable disease type of thing which you gotta be you gotta be wary of that stuff as well dating call in tattoos i'm gonna go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter we are leaving behind this apartment complex Take us all the way out to California. We're headed all the way out to California. Specifically, we're headed out to San Diego County, California. Calling tattoos, hit that stealth mode, because we're about to fly over one of the largest U.S. Marine bases in the country, Camp Pendleton. We're going back to the year, it's around 2017. We're about to meet this young man, young husband, young father named Lance Corporal Javier Ortiz. He's a 21-year-old man who's just come back to the United States after being part of a top-secret mission in Syria. He was a part of an artillery gunner group, and their mission was to lay down suppressive fire against ISIS as they were trying to take over the country of Syria. Sometimes they would have an exact target to hit based on intelligence of where these ISIS fighters may be. But sometimes they just laid down fire in random locations to keep the enemy on its toes. But now he's back home. He's actually living in an apartment complex that's nearby Camp Pendleton. He's living off base. But something's not right. Javier realizes that something feels off. But it gets worse one day when he is walking through his apartment and he sees something standing in his kitchen. He sees a girl standing there. But he's not thinking anyone like snuck into his apartment. He can tell at first glance this is is a ghost. And she's just standing there in his kitchen and he said she was covered in that clay-colored dust that we see in people who have been pulled out of rubble after a building is blown to pieces. There's just that dust covering her from head to toe. And he's looking at her. And he takes a step back and he flips the light switch, thinking it's just a trick. It has to be a trick of the light. He flicks the switch, but the girl's still there, just standing there, staring at him. She continues to pop up from time to time. Nobody else can see her. She's not always there. She's not always in the kitchen. Sometimes he's in a different location and he'll see her. 
she'll be there for a while, and then she goes away. And he thinks to himself, and th- this wouldn't be out of the box, right? This this would make sense. He goes, this might be vengeance. He goes, I killed a lot of people. Me and my artillery gunner crew, we killed hundreds of ISIS fighters. But it's also possible that innocent people were killed as well. You're firing these artillery guns from miles away. You don't ever really see the devastation that these cannons cause. I mean, you hope you're only killing terrorists, right? Maybe it's the spirit of a girl who got killed in one of these attacks. Maybe, maybe it's some sort of curse. He keeps seeing this girl over and over and over again, and it's literally driving him mad. No one else can see it. He doesn't know what to do. He thinks it's connected to his service overseas. At one point, he goes to the beach, builds a bonfire, and he takes off his gloves, his combat gloves that he used while he was over there, throws them into the bonfire, and his journal that documented all of his time in Syria. He throws that in the bonfire. And he's watching them burn. And then the fire begins to die down till it's nothing but ashes. And then he sees standing on that beach the little girl covered in dust. As Javier is looking at that little girl standing on the beach, he thinks that he is battling a supernatural spirit. But what he doesn't know is that the real cause of this problem was created by the U.S. government. This is an amazing article I read recently in the New York Times. It was written by Dave Phillips. This is fascinating stuff. And unfortunately, it's still going on to this day. So let's break this down. He was part of a artillery gunner crew. We had Marines and Army servicemen stationed in Syria on the ground. We didn't know this. This was a secret mission. President Donald Trump signed off on it. We didn't want to have servicemen in Syria, on the ground, fighting ISIS one-on-one. Smart move, obviously. But we do want to crush ISIS, so we moved in these artillery batteries, these massive howitzer cannons, to just lob shells off into the distance. If you know where they're at, you can actually target them. If you don't know where you're at, well, we'll just fire randomly off in the distance, and it kept the enemy on edge. They never knew where that next shell was going to land. Perfect. President Donald Trump signs off on it. The Marines move their batteries out there. The Army sends off a couple artillery batteries. Easy peasy, as they say it. But these cannon, this is absolutely insane. This is something we know now. But the fact that we know it now will not change the history of Javier Ortiz or many others who this impacted. You're standing next to a howitzer cannon, this giant gun that's going to launch a 100-pound round 15 miles. 
it's a state-of-the-art weapon that the person who fires it has to stand next to it and pull a rope. Okay, cool, right? Pretty, pretty cool weapon to fire. But what was happening was every time someone was pulling that cord. Let's look at Dave Phillips' article. He said, The cannon blasts were strong enough to hurl a 100-pound round 15 miles, and each unleashed a shockwave that shot through the crew members' bodies, vibrating bone, punching lungs and hearts, and whipping at cruise missile speeds through the most delicate organ of all, the brain. And everyone's standing around it because they're getting the next round ready, and you got the other battery nearby, and they're getting their next round ready. These shock waves are moving through the bodies of the gunner crew. Quote, ears rang, bones shivered, vision blurred as eyeballs momentarily compressed, and a ripple shot through every neuron in the brain like a whip crack. What they were doing with each pull of that cord is these young men were getting hit with this shockwave, and it was causing micro-tears in their brain. It was disrupting the neural pathways. This is something that we hadn't seen before. So for comparison, and again, Dave Phillips did a great job in this article, Desert Storm, 1991, Gulf War I, lasted six weeks. The average artillery gunner crew fired 70 rounds each. Iraq, Gulf War II, 2003, within the first few months the average artillery crew fired 260 rounds each over the course of a couple months. Syria, the Alpha Artillery Battery Group, Alpha Division, however it's broken down, their average gun fired 1,100 rounds in the first two months. So more than those previous two put together by a, a quite multitude. 1,100 rounds in two months. And that shockwave just going through your body. That was the Alpha Artillery Battery Crews. Fox Artillery Battery Crews, who came in to replace Alpha. Some of their guns fired 10,000 rounds each during their deployment there. And here's the thing. The gunners knew something was up. You're getting this physical sensation. Your eyeballs momentarily compressing. But they also were getting really irritable. They were fighting with each other. They were feeling really sluggish. They had a hard time kind of walking around sometimes. But here's the thing. They just figured, I'm out in the desert. I'm eating garbage food. I'm waking up all these weird hours. I'd rather be anywhere else. This must just be what war feels like. So they go back to their job and they're pulling that cord and they're getting the next round ready and then they're pulling that cord, and the shockwave's continuing to damage all of these soldiers. Because again, Javier Ortiz's story is not alone. Lance Corporal Austin Powell, 22 years old, four days after Lance Corporal Javier Ortiz first saw the ghost girl in his apartment, four days later and just a couple miles away at Camp Pendleton, Austin Powell began screaming at the top of his lungs, 
there's something in my room. There's something in my room. There's something in my room. Just losing it. He was freaking out until one of his neighbors, one of his fellow soldiers came over and had to calm him down and check the place out and be like, Austin, there's no one in your room, dude. What's going on? Within a year after that event, Austin Powell was dead. Killed himself. He was having auditory hallucinations, paralyzing panic attacks. He could not get through one more day. So he took his own life. Lance Corporal Brady Zapoy, 24 years old, around the same time period, began to complain of the conspiracy, saying there was a hidden message embedded in each street sign. He eventually walked into a house that he'd never been to, walked up to a man he never met, and murdered him. When the police showed up to arrest Brady and put him in handcuffs, he asked them, quote, Are you going to take me to the moon? He's been in a mental hospital ever since. Part of the thing is is that these micro-tears in the brain cannot be diagnosed until the brain is removed from the victim and inspected under a microscope. It's not like having your arm blown off. It's not like getting a giant gash down your chest. It is an injury that cannot be proven until after death. And the U.S. government, like all governments, treats, I don't want to go off on a rant here, but treats its service people like trash. The way that they will so quickly dispose of the people who gave up their time and their energy and their physical health to serve the government, they will look for any reason to get rid of them, to stop paying the bills when it is necessary. I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I used to work for a company that provided health insurance for soldiers. Uh, for, uh, yeah, U.S. US servicemen and women. And man, what, what a wake-up call that was. Talk about being blackpilled. Talk about seeing how the government just wants the lowest cost possible and will look for any reason not to help out someone after the fact. Like, when you need them, when they need you, oh, you're the best guy around, but when you need them, trash, trash. Anyways, um, these soldiers are saying, hey, man, something's wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. I'm seeing things. I'm hearing things. I'm having these horrible thoughts and stuff like that. And the military goes, well, maybe you have PTSD. And here's the therapy and the medication for PTSD. And some of these guys are getting drugs that were not working on them because that's not what they had. They didn't have that. They didn't have PTSD. They didn't have a thought problem. They didn't have that. They had a physical problem to their brain that was not being diagnosed. So some of them took the medication and it just didn't help. It wasn't helping at all because it couldn't. That's not what was wrong. You can send them to therapy. That's not going to make the girl go away. Because the neural pathway was actually damaged in these men. There's no test for this type of damage. Uh, Dave, the author of the article, interviewed a senior army blast researcher named Gary Kamamori. 
He said, quote, think of it like a rubber band, talking about the human brain. He goes, think about it like a rubber band. Stretch a rubber band a hundred times and it bounces back. But there are micro tears forming. The hundred and first time, it breaks. And that's what we're talking about here. The brain just is not functioning normally anymore due to them being so close to these shock waves. You try to treat it for PTSD, that doesn't work. And sometimes the military will be like, well, you don't have PTSD. And you don't have any other injuries. So, maybe you just need to sleep, right? I mean, again, I get that they can't test for this. And you can go, well, hindsight's 2020. Now that they know to look for this, I doubt they even care at this point. They want to keep firing those guns. Well, we're not over there anymore, at least as far as I know, right? Top secret mission, but they can't treat it. And since you can't prove that that's what you have... And here's the thing. The servicemen didn't even know this was a thing. They were sent over there and they fired off a thousand rounds. They weren't told this could be hazardous to your health. They weren't told this was causing micro-tears because arguably the military didn't know. They never fired this many artillery shells in such short order. But that doesn't mean that you are off the hook Right. If someone invents a drug and then three years later you find out there are these horrible side effects for it, the company's still on the hook and they have to rectify the things that they did wrong instead of just sweeping it all under the rug until an article pops up in the news. And then not really caring about it then either. The U.S. government loves it when you work with them, but the second you need their help, they do not care. They do not care. Lance Corporal Javier Ortiz, 2017, around then, he began to see this little girl up here. Four years later, four years later, this young husband, this young father, is still having these mental health struggles. He's still in the Marines. And he's asked for PTSD diagnoses. Doesn't have one. Because he doesn't have PTSD. They cannot detect a, a traumatic brain disorder in him because this uh, he has the micro tears. He asks, can I go work for this part of the Marines that is for Marines that are injured? And they go, no, you're not injured. Well, he's having these hallucinations, right? He's, he's definitely suffering from something. Nope, you got to keep doing your old jump. The end of it all began one night when Javier was at home and the ghost began to pour out of the void and pull him into another dimension. It's full-on hallucination. He's completely lost touch with reality. He thinks, maybe if I took all my clothes off, not a good start, right, when you're in a mania. Maybe if I took all my clothes off and laid down on the cold kitchen floor, it would shock my senses back into being part of reality. I would reinforce that, no, 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 there is no portal to another dimension. I'm in my kitchen, in my house. I'll be fine. So he took all of his clothes off and he laid down and he spread across the kitchen floor and it didn't work. He could still feel these entities trying to pull him out of our world. He ends up calling a cousin of his who was also a Marine, retired Marine, and he goes, man, I'm, I can't. 
I can't do this. I'm losing it. I'm I I I I I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And his cousin said, "Hey, um, I know this is against marine regulations, but what I've done to treat my PTSD, and again, that's not what he had." Cousin goes, "You know what I did to treat my PTSD is I smoked some weed, and that helped." So Javier does get some weed, does get some marijuana from, you know, this California, early 2020s. He gets his weed from, you know, like just walks down to 7-Eleven and buys it. They sell it over the counter. He gets his weed, he smokes it, and he feels a little bit better. At least he can get to sleep. Well, on Monday, that all happened over the weekend. On Monday, he goes, you know what? I should tell my CO about this. I should tell my commanding officer about what happened and that I smoked weed. And it is against marine regulations to use drugs, but I'm, I'm sure he'll understand. It's funny. This is a sign of a good man, right? Like, would you do that? I'm not saying you're not a good man, but I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. If I smoked weed and I wasn't supposed to smoke weed, I wouldn't go into my boss on Monday and be like, hey, just let you know I lit up a doobie. None of their business. But I don't, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as a good man. But there are good men out there who do follow the rules and the regulations because they know they are there for a reason. The rules are there for a reason, but the military, the government, they don't care about none of that stuff. On Monday, he goes in. Yeah, this story took place. This part happened in 2021. Yeah, so it started in 2017. 2021, he goes to his commanding officer and he says, hey, I had a really bad like break over the weekend and I thought I was losing it. And I talked to my old Marine buddy, cousin of mine, and I smoked some weed. It helped. But I just wanted to be honest. Now, luckily for Javier, in the Marine Code of Conduct, or the Marine Disciplinary Code, if you have an infraction like drug use, it can be excused under the right circumstances. Because what's the big deal, right? It's just a little bit of weed. The Marine Code says that under the right circumstances, uh, things against the Marine Code, like smoking marijuana, doing drugs, can be Forgiven can be ignored. So good for Javier. Bad for Javier, though, is it was only excusable if you had diagnosable PTSD or a traumatic brain injury. And he had neither. He was given a less than honorable discharge. Which is worse than never joining the military in the first place. If you have that on your record, if you have dishonorable discharge or less than honorable discharge, it actually is worse than never being in the military at all. Employers see that and they think the worst. It's shocking when I heard about that, that that is actually the worst possible thing. It's worse than no employment history whatsoever. So he is kicked out of the military. Him and his family lose their apartment. In 2023, when the journalist writing this piece 
tracked down Lance Corporal Javier Ortiz. He found Javier and his family in Florida. Javier, his wife, and their two children were squatting in an abandoned house. They were homeless. Moving from place to place. Just trying to find something safe for the night. Warm for the night. If it lasted a couple days, even better. Javier said to this day he still sees the girl. The dead child staring at him. Coated with a fine layer of clay-covered dust. She still appears. She's still there. This whole time, she's still there. Squatting in this abandoned house somewhere in Florida. Still haunted, but not by the paranormal, but by the carelessness of the United States government. So careless, so cold, it borders on true evil. It sent Javier and hundreds of other young men halfway across the world to fight a secret battle. But those that came back home, many of them now fight that battle on their own. The government has completely abandoned them. Quote, I gave the Marine Corps everything, and they spit me out with nothing. Damaged. Damaged. Very damaged. Unquote. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. And yeah, read that article. It's They go into a lot more crazy stuff. Sad story.